Ready? Yeah. All righty. <laughs> Put the giggles. You know, me too. Okay, I'm going to do it. Welcome. <laughs> okay. This is a like, cold open. I'm going to do it. Like, you're just going to jump off a diving board or something instead of speak. <laughs> okay, okay, okay. Okay. <laughs> we should put this at the end of the episode. No, just this is at the beginning of the episode. <laughs> it's the cold open. You're listening to Different Things Can Be Sad. Welcome to Different Things Can Be Sad, where it's cool to care about the Constitution and Comic-Con. I'm Yasmin Lomax. And I'm Micah Hahn. And we've got the giggles a little bit <laughs> we on do. episode six. Um, it is, we're coming into September. Um, mm-hmm. And we're up to episode six, which means it's our half birthday. It is. That's pretty crazy. We're thinking we might do some sort of like a giveaway slash celebration. But... Um, We'll keep you updated on that. Check our Instagram <laughs> for that. Yeah, yeah, which um, which is at DTCBS podcast. podcast. Yeah, that is, yeah, that, that is that, it. that's our Instagram. Yep, I do manage the Instagram, so probably <laughs> shouldn't know that. Anyway, how have you been this month, Micah? I've been really good. I yeah. um, had my last couple weeks of summer. I went to Victoria, which for those of you not in the know is the capital of British Columbia, the province in which I live. Um, it was awesome. It was like a girl's trip for just like two days. And it was great. It looked absolutely beautiful. Yeah, if you um, check out my highlights on Instagram, there's some of the food I ate while I was there. It was Miss Clearwater on Instagram. I do yeah. know that one. Um, the food looked amazing. It was so good. And yeah, I did that and celebrated. And then I... Um, I started school and That's it's awesome. been a ride and I feel like it's been two weeks and I feel like I've been there for like a month. Yeah, I feel so, that. This is your final year though, right? This is my final year, which is very exciting, but also kind of nerve wracking. But I'm like, I got into one of my classes and I was like, I don't want to do this anymore. I like, <laughs> I think I could do other things. Yeah, yeah. I am deep, deep into the cave of college at the moment um i think i've got like six weeks left but it's like six weeks of like intense like project work because mm-hmm. i'm in my like very last semester um so yeah six weeks from now i will be finished which is the shining light at the end of the tunnel that is my life at the moment does that i don't think that was a good metaphor um <laughs> but yeah it's just a lot of work, a lot of writing. I've kind of taken on a lot of projects, so it's very, very busy. Um, all I want to do is watch Sex in the City, but it's just not going to be possible. But it's fine. Um, I'm really excited, though, because I'm heading to Tasmania on Wednesday. So um, for those of you not in the know, um, <laughs> which you probably wouldn't be if you're not Australian, it is our smallest state. Um, and the only one not actually like part of the mainland, like it's a little bit, it's like I live in Victoria, not the same Victoria as the one that no. I could just mention, Victoria, Australia. 
which is like a state at the bottom of the country. And then like down below us is um, this little, little bite called Tassie. And um, I've never been before. We were supposed to go years ago, but then there was bushfires and our accommodation burnt down. Um, Yeah, that's kind of hot, like literally. Um, So my friend and I are heading on Wednesday. We don't get back to a Monday. So it's going to be a nice, like very long weekend. Nice. Um, And I'm, trying not to bring any work with me which is really exciting um because five days of no work has never happened to me so i'm super excited hopefully it'll be not too cold and i'll get to see some new things so i'll update you on that next month that sounds super exciting i'm pretty excited it's like a it's like a half hour flight or something ridiculous like nice. that, but it'll be fun yeah so um yeah, busy month. Did you have some time to read anything while you were studying? Yeah, I am. Um, I'm trying to turn over a new leaf and read before I go to bed instead of scrolling through Instagram. I'm trying that too, and it's really good because I find my eyes get really tired and I end up like kind of falling asleep already, and it's yeah, it's awesome. Yeah, I um, that usually happens to me, but this book that I'm about to tell you about, I like stayed up until one a.m. <gasps> It was bad. I had class the next day. Oh, no. Because um, oh, I just no. could not put it down. <laughs> Anyways, this book is called Truth and Beauty, a memoir. Okay. It's oh. by Patchett. Uh, yeah. Of you who have been keenly listening for the last couple months know that I have been reading a lot of Anne Patchett. You have. You have. Um, and this one's really great. It's nonfiction. It's her first nonfiction. And oh. it's... Um, a memoir about her friendship with her best friend, Lucy Greeley, um, okay. who actually, she was inspired to write the memoir because Lucy died uh, in, I think, like the early, mid-2000s. And then Anne Padgett very quickly wrote this book, um, which is part of a controversy I will tell you about in a bit. Um, mm-hmm. I know. But it's it's really, it's beautifully written. And Anne Padgett has such a beautiful, like, narrative style and so it feels very narrative but then it also has some of Lucy's letters to um Anne but what's wonderful is that Lucy Greeley was a writer in her own right she actually wrote a memoir called um something a memoir of a face because she actually had childhood cancer and lost her lower jaw so she had a very distinct looking face um so yeah so Beautiful writing, um, really touching, like an amazing read. Uh, and then I, so I finished it in the middle of the night because that's when I had been reading it. <laughs> and I was like, could not, like I couldn't stop thinking about it. So I Googled it and it turned out um, Lucy's sister wrote this op-ed in The Guardian about how she felt kind of betrayed by the novel. Because it, oh, wow. it came out like a year and a half after Lucy died, which is very fast for a novel. It is, yeah. Yeah. And it kind of... Even just to, like, draft it in that time would be quick. And then, you know, when you think of all the stages of editing mm-hmm. and then, like, printing and stuff. Yeah, that's quick. Yeah. Um, and so she kind of felt like she wasn't given time to mourn. Oh. Because it, Did like... Did she does... have a problem with the content or just the fact I, that it existed I, so quickly? I think a little bit. Like, it doesn't portray Lucy as, like, a wonderful person. Like, it portrays her as a flawed human being like we all are. And, but yeah. it, like, very clearly puts those flaws to the front. Right. And so I understand how that would make it very difficult 
to mm. um and she didn't like die in the nicest way and so like i understand the desire not to have that public yeah on the other hand like i kind of feel especially like you can't trust ann patchett to say everything that was true but like given how it was written it seemed like lucy was just as close with her friends as she was with her family maybe even yeah. closer and i don't know if you really get to claim a person just because you're related to them by blood that's interesting yeah that's um like i've definitely heard a lot of people who've been you know really affected by someone's death and they felt that they weren't like allowed to feel as sad as they did because they weren't related to the person mm-hmm weren't like you know their best best friend but I think you know it works in it works in different ways so yeah, yeah. so mm. really good book um I like just because of the controversy I would I wouldn't say you shouldn't read it I think it was wonderful like it's a great um discussion of friendship uh, yeah. my favorite thing is I bought it used and then it's one of those soft cover books it has like the flaps on the inside Oh, and I like was using one of the flaps as a bookmark, and I opened it up, and it was someone who had like it was a little note that someone had written to the person they gave the book to, and it's all about like we're such good friends, and like I love your friendship, and oh, I've heard this stop. book was about friendship, and so here I bought you a copy, and I bought me a copy, and we're gonna <gasps> read it. And Sisterhood so of the Traveling Book, that's adorable. And then it ended up in a Gosh. used bookshop, but yeah, yeah, what a terrible friend. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, so that is what I have been reading. Well, that sounds like a really great read, Micah. Um, I have also been enjoying a nonfiction read at the moment. Um, I'm still I'm still reading it. Um, it is called Sharp: The Women Who Made an Art of Having an Opinion, and it's by Michelle Dean. Um, cool. Yeah, so um, it's like a nonfiction collection covering lots of great women, like mainly critics, essayists, and novelists who. I guess like had these opinions and weren't afraid like to voice them. So we went from, you know, Dorothy Parker and Rebecca West to Joan Didion and Nora Ephron. And yeah, I really liked that it celebrated the idea of women in history, not being afraid to make their voices heard, especially at times when that wasn't the norm. So, Mm -hmm. you know, they were like attacked in a lot of like response pieces, um, in ways that men wouldn't be. And like a lot of them are also treated really horribly by men in their personal lives. Um, So yeah, the author did a really good job of like investigating how those like personal um, things obviously like played an influence into their work. So that, that was really interesting. Um, I probably would have enjoyed it more if I knew more about the writers mentioned. Um, So I think a few weeks, a few months ago, I was talking about um, the book I loved, Meet Me in the Bathroom, um, which if you don't know that episode, um, go back to it. it, like that was a book that was sort of about the the rise of rock and roll in New York in like the early 2000s and mm-hmm. like I really loved that book because I love the bands discuss like the strokes and Interpol and the killers and vampire weekend but the least interesting parts of that for me were the bands that I don't follow so much like LCD sound system so even though like the things that were going on with that group were really really interesting I couldn't like connect to it as much because like it wasn't as easy for me to put you know, a face to a name or like, you know, a backstory to it. Um, And I think that's kind of 
where I couldn't fully engage with Sharp because I hadn't read a lot of these a lot of these writers. If I had, I probably would have been like, oh my God, this is the best. Like I'm getting to learn more about them. But if you are interested in um in any of the writers included, I think you would absolutely love it. It's also really good for recommendations. So I'm definitely gonna be reading a lot of these essays mm-hmm. and novels mentioned throughout. Um, I guess it's no surprise that the bit, the chapter that I loved the most so far is the one about Joan. No, um, not Joan Didion. Sorry, Joan Didion. You're, you're very interesting as well. <laughs> but um, uh, Nora Ephron, um, who I adore because she created my favorite movie of all time, When Harry Met Sally, um, which like, I cannot praise highly enough. I think it is an actual work of genius. Um, and yeah, I think I just like connected to her chapter a lot more than the other ones. And also what I really loved from it, there was, um, a little, a little phrase that I took away. Um, and it was something her mom used to say to her and it was the idea that everything is copy. And I just thought that was like really, really interesting. So it's sort of like, you know, if something bad happens to you, you're like, everything is copy. I can write a story about Mm -hmm. it. I can write about it. Um, And it's kind of like just an interesting way to, I guess, shift your perspective on things. And uh, like as a writer, it's a really good skill to have. Mm -hmm. Um, I guess like it's a little bit different. I read an article a while ago of someone saying that it's different from something like someone saying, oh, let's just do it for the story. Because that's kind of like, you know, that's like a YOLO mentality. Yeah, yeah. And it's all also like you're just kind of like doing things like to build this identity, like sort of like, you know, people posting things on Instagram that are like, you know, really heavily like filtered. It's like the highlight reel of their life. And, you know, that's that's n- not real. Or like, you know, they're just going to these places so they can put it on Instagram or they're mm-hmm. just you know, doing certain things for Instagram. Mm-hmm. That's what kind of like do it for the story feels like. Whereas everything is copy is like, okay, like I'm living my life authentically and these are things that I have done or are happening to me and how can I channel them into great copy? And mm-hmm. I just thought that was really, really interesting. Um, have you read any of the the authors that I mentioned or the writers that I mentioned? Sorry. I haven't. Oh, interesting. You probably, you'd probably really enjoy it. Yeah. No, it's a lot awesome. more. Yeah, you'd be a lot more in touch with um, with this kind of like um, area of literature than I would be. But yeah, yeah I I I, th- I think it's really interesting. Again, would definitely engage more if I was more familiar with the the context of it. Um, mm-hmm. And that's yeah, I think that's why I loved Meet Me in the Bathroom so much. But yeah, I'm I would definitely recommend that to people, especially writers who are sort of, I guess, a little bit worried especially in like the feedback culture that we live in now where it's so easy for you to you know you could write a story online and people can blow up your comment section or like dm you on instagram and tell you that it's terrible and that your opinion is wrong and everyone seems Mm -hmm. to have an opinion and every opinion is different and no one has a problem voicing them but -hmm. it can be scary so you know if you need a little bit of motivation i recommend shop it looks good yeah it is how about tv movies what have you been watching um, so I needed like a easy show to watch. So I just, and it was on Netflix. So I decided to watch Don't Trust the Bee in Apartment 23. Okay. Um, which is fun. It's New York, which is always nice. Um, and it stars Kristen Ritter. Um, 
I've been meaning to watch this forever because people yeah. always tell me that I look like Kristen Ritter, um, especially sometimes like I wear a fringe. Mm-hmm. I get it a lot then. Yeah. Yeah. She's so good in it. She is the B She's in great. Apartment 23. Yeah. Um, and then it's her and then the only like the foil for the audience is like this blonde girl from the Midwest. She's kind of forgettable. Um, <laughs> like whatever and then there's james vanderbeek playing himself oh oh i like that oh that's funny and so it's all about him being like dawson's creek fame and him kind of being a burnt out star but not wanting to be and he and Kristen ritter are best friends i love it yeah um so that's super fun there's only two seasons because it got canceled but there's like a bunch of episodes in each season oh good yeah um super funny um the one problem is is that like it's 23 minutes long, and so you watch an episode, and you're like, I could watch another one. And then you, and then you say it again. And you're like, I need to – you just can't stop. Yeah. Um, so I watched it really quickly, but before classes started, which was good, because if I had watched it during classes, I never would have gotten anything done. <laughs> um, but it was great. Um, the other thing I watched is if you listen to last month's episode, you know that Yasmin got on the train and the very first day and watched To All the Boys I Loved Before. I was on that quickly. I was riding the first carriage. I was yeah. right next to the pilot. Wait, what's it? Is it just a train driver? They're not called pilots. <laughs> Engineer? I don't know. Uh, I think they're just Conductor. a train driver. Conductor? Fat controller? Mm-hmm. Side note, I did read a really interesting piece in The New Yorker about um, how Thomas the Tank Engine is like, it, it was like an oppressive text or something. It was pretty crazy. So I'll link to that. It was a bit of fun. Crazy. Um, Anyways, <laughs> she was there before the memes. Um, I got there <laughs> while the memes were in full force and I like absolutely loved it. That's I watched great. it twice because on the aforementioned Victoria girls trip, we watched it. We yeah. had woken up at like five in the morning to catch a ferry and then like the entire day we just walked around the town and then at like 10 we were like we'll watch a movie so we'd watch we were watching it on like six hours of sleep and it was amazing um, it's great um then, what like, we didn't discuss last week was you know how i think we were saying i was like you know what i really like josh i know everyone's about peter kavinsky mm-hmm. and josh is kind of trashy but i love him mm-hmm. You know who, like, I, I don't know why I didn't say. I think it kind of went without saying. Like, you mm-hmm. know how when everyone's like, what's your favorite book? And you don't say Harry Potter because, like, it goes without saying. Yeah. Um, Mr. Covey, obviously. Aiden from Sex and the City is like, <laughs> cool, what the heck? That is definition of Silver Fox. He has aged, like, the finest of wines. Mm-hmm. Um, he's great. He's, and he's great in it. With him in it. No, his character is fantastic. He is like a great, great dad in that. Like mm-hmm. he is phenom. Mm-hmm. And he, yeah, so we like watched it and I highly suggest whoever you are, like however you identify, watch it with someone who identifies as a straight lady because <laughs> that's the pe- that's the demographic they're going for. Um, because we, we, like, watched this movie, and then we were just, like, walking around the next day just talking about it, and we were, like, like, we love Peter Kavinsky so much, but, like, he's just, like, the bare minimum of what you expect out of a guy, like, what you should expect. Like, yeah. He's and he's caring. Yeah. He, like, takes cute pictures with you. He cares about your feelings. He, like, calls out your bullshit. Like, bare minimum. Yeah, because, like, the main cute things he did were, like, 
take pictures with her at a party and then go across town to buy her a Yakult. And I'm like, I've done that for guys before. Mm-hmm. Like, and I'm not a rom-com hero, which to be honest, is my ultimate life goal. I have not been rom-com. Yeah. I, I, my dream is to be a rom-com heroine. Like that is my one day, one day, <laughs> but, uh, maybe when I move to New York, that seems like where it all happens. But yeah, like, I mean, it's like, he is very sweet and I think he's very, he's very thoughtful and considerate mm-hmm. and like aware, for, especially for like a 17 year old boy. Yeah. But like, you know, most of the people I know who are watching it are quite a bit older and I'm like, mm-hmm. God, like, yeah, it seems like it is the standard for, like, yeah, boys to just be selfish and sucky. Yeah, like, and the fact that he's not, the fact that he, like, what drives fifty minutes to get a yogurt, like, it was fifty minutes, but okay, five five zero. Yeah. Oh, fine, I'll give him that. Okay, like, (laughs) like, that's that's okay, that's amazing. But yeah, like the cute pictures at a party, like, yeah, yeah, I don't know, or the pocket thing. The pocket thing was cute. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Okay, maybe we're converted. Maybe we're like, you know what? Actually, you go, Peter Kavinsky. I keep going back and forth. I'm like, he's just what you should expect out of a boyfriend, but also he's adorable and wonderful. Um, he is adorable and wonderful, and he is what you expect. But he, yeah, like it wasn't as if he was turning up at their house with a boombox or anything like that, mm-hmm. you know? There wasn't mm-hmm. anything ridiculous that he was doing. And yeah, it's sad that like more people in relationships can't be like, oh yeah, my boyfriend does like things like that for me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. So watch it if you haven't yet, though I don't know how you're existing on the internet without watching it yet. It's pretty Yeah, literally. What the heck? <laughs> um well I yeah, I've been going off the to all the boys I've loved before vain in mm-hmm. that I watched um Sierra Burgess is a loser um was that? Netflix. That was okay, there were some very, very funny moments in it. Mm-hmm. But um overall, like I, I was a little bit bothered by like okay this is gonna be a spoiler and i'm gonna so just you know fast forward like 30 seconds or something if you want to but basically she kind of like essentially barb from stranger things essentially Mm -hmm. catfishes peter kavinsky and then um like in the end they end up together and (laughs) like yeah and everyone i think like from the from the the promo everyone was kind of like oh how could they end up together because she's this kind of like you know nerdy band nerd or whatever but it turns out that he goes to a different school and he's he's nerdy as well he is the quarterback so you know, <laughs> that's, it's nice that he's like but he's not you know one of the jocks or anything mm-hmm. like he has like like different friends and like he's a little bit nerdy so like on that level i can kind of i can kind of like that that wasn't the bit that bothered me the bit that bothered me was that she catfished him mm-hmm. and then and she screwed over her new friend as well and I think we were all supposed to be okay with it because like, you know, she'd had a hard time being a teenager who didn't view herself as conventionally pretty. And I was sort but of like, that's not, like, like you don't get, yeah, you don't get to do bad things. Like yeah. I, I just, like there was some stuff like, I, like it was a bit, again, this is a spoiler. So probably just want to thousand four this whole section. Like, <laughs> you know, he, she catfishes him to the point where she goes on a date where he goes on a date with the girl that he thinks like the face mm-hmm. um which is her like new kind of friend um and goes in for the kiss and when he closes his eyes they do a swap out so he thinks he's kissing the other girl and he's kissing barb and i'm like i think that's illegal like 
that's horrible yeah so like i know we're not supposed to look into this in like a really really serious way or anything but like the catfishy elements didn't make me feel good and then she did a little bad things and then she didn't really do anything to make up for them like everyone just kind of decided that they forgave her and like i think as a writer i found that like oh good lesson because i don't think people people like their characters to work for something like they don't you know like if your character is going to get redemption i want them to work for the redemption and it like didn't really sit right with me that she just kind of cried in her room and then everyone forgave her because she did some real bad things so um it's a lot more like yeah problematic than to all the boys i've loved before (laughs) but there are some really really sweet moments and i think it captures like teenage insecurity really well and like you know sending someone a text and then like deleting it and then being like oh my god what do i send so yeah that that i really um I really enjoyed. Um, I also watched Crazy Rich Asians mm-hmm. um, when that when that came out here. Um, again, absolutely loved it. Like yeah. I, oh, I, I could say so much about it, but I mean, there's countless articles on the internet, um, which will probably say it a lot more eloquently than I will. Um, but basically, it's about an NYU economics professor called Rachel, and she is Chinese-American. And she goes to Singapore with her long-term boyfriend, Nick, for his best friend's wedding. And she thinks Nick is just like a normal guy, but it turns out he, like, his family is crazy, crazy rich. Mm-hmm. And she's thrown into this, like, world of high society, you know, there's money and rivalries and trying to navigate his terrifying family. And, you know, like to all the boys I'd loved before, it was great to see non-white characters having storylines about things like love and um you know like it was it it really like fearlessly and in a really funny way like addressed um stereotypes there were some like so many great like developed characters like almost Mm -hmm. every character in the cast was like really highly developed it wasn't just like two mains with a bunch of like you know, stand-in best friends kind of thing. Um, Particularly Gemma Chan's character was um, really great. So the, like, um, Gemma really nailed the complexities of her character and you only kind of realize towards the end how well she's been playing her. Mm -hmm. Um, And then Constance Wu, who plays Rachel, she is amazing. I want her to be my best friend. Mm -hmm. Um, And Aquafina plays um, Rachel's best friend and she is, like, literally, like, I amazing like literally literally the funniest she's kind of like um she has this like really short like blonde haircut and her dad um calls her um asian ellen degeneres um (laughs) but i like she actually reminded me of miley cyrus like she Mm -hmm. had this kind of like i don't know this like loud southern like funny funniness about her so she was absolutely fantastic the mm-hmm. the lavish wealth is absolutely like glorious to watch they go on a a hen's weekend and like a stag do and like they're you know getting helicopters there and stuff mm-hmm. so that was that was beautiful it you know it made me laugh it made me cheer it made me impossibly angry and it made <laughs> me cry in a lot of different ways so i think it really succeeded as a rom-com and as i've mentioned rom-coms are my bread and butter so I loved it. Um, I did see a lot of, not a lot of, like it was obviously really, really great like reviews of it. And then there's the people who are trying to be um, controversial and saying, I didn't like it. And the people who didn't like it are like middle-aged white men. Mm-hmm. And 
I'm kind of thinking, no wonder it's not for you. Like it's, it like, I mean, obviously anyone can watch it, but like, like I feel like it's for young women. Like that's, it's kind of like primary target audience. And it just, yeah, I was kind of like, well, I'm not good. Like, you know, fast and furious isn't really my thing, but I'm not going to write an article about how I don't get it because Mm -hmm. like, or I don't think it's good because it's not really for me. And I, I remember reading another article a little while ago that said, you know, um, rom-coms have like really bad ratings on IMDb because a lot of the reviewers are these middle-aged white men and the movies just aren't for them. Like it's, yeah. it's not something that they're going to resonate with. Um, and that's, that's fine, but like it is important for a lot of people. So that kind of bothered me a little bit. Like that'd be mm-hmm. like me, you know, saying, oh, I don't think Peppa Pig is any good. Of course, I don't think Peppa Pig is any good. Like I'm not for, <laughs> yeah. it's not for me. Mm-hmm. So whatever. I thought it was fabulous. And if you're like me and you're a sucker for rom-coms and you love seeing this representation, I think you're going to love it. I will have to watch it. I think so. I think so. Mm-hmm. Um, what have you been listening to this month? Um, I haven't been listening to a huge amount of new stuff. One thing I have been listening to, or one person, is Maggie Rogers. Okay. She's um, American. She went to NYU. She went to um, their music school, which is kind of infamous for producing, like, amazing people. Um, Yeah. She, her, like, if you look at her bio on iTunes, um, which is written, like, really well. I love iTunes bios. They're funny. Yeah. she uh, had a workshop with Pharrell, and Pharrell, oh, like, wow. thought she was the most talented, amazing person there. Um, so she, uh, like, her career just, like, kicked off, and I don't, I don't know how to describe it. It's, like, like alternative rock, like, poppy but rocky. Okay. Um, really good. I, like found her because I was watching someone's Instagram story and they'd been to her concert and her concert looks awesome. So hopefully oh. one day I will go one see day. her. One day. Um, but she did like really awesome and I love listening to more women. I feel like when I was younger I mostly listened to men. Yeah. Like and I never really occurred to me that that's what I was doing. And so Let's I, talk about that for a second because I am the worst proponent of that. Like, Yeah, you listen to a lot of male bands. I listen to, like, I would say nearly exclusively male artists. I would say the only kind of, like, females that I would have on my playlist at the moment would be, like, Lord. Um, I would have Yeah, Yeah, Yeahs, which is led by Karen O. Um, and, like, ugh. I listen to the like sometimes, but it's like it's not good like I would not I would like yeah I I feel again it was very very unintentional but then when I I I remember like clocking it once and I was like I could go you know weeks of listening to music and not hearing a woman's voice yeah and that's that's sucky that's not good like I, I I call myself this um you know great proponent of like women's careers and I'm I feel like I'm not doing a very good job at supporting it I mean yeah I feel like I've been to a lot, a lot of concerts and the only women I've seen are Lord. I saw Taylor Swift. I do love Taylor Swift. She's mm-hmm. great. Um, I saw Miley again. Great. And then I took my sister to Katy Perry. Uh, mm-hmm. That's literally it. Yeah. I feel like I say that would recommend like that. Sorry, not recommend. I would say that would like constitute like one fifth of like concerts. And they're all pop musicians. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. Yeah. Like it's not anything that I've had to search very hard for. Like I've mm-hmm. not, 
yeah, I've clearly not delved into it very much. So yeah, yeah. I just find that interesting, and I love finding yeah, yeah. I like love their music, so it's good. I wonder why. I wonder why that. It, like, I think especially maybe if you're into the kind of indie rock thing, I think mm-hmm. it's very male dominated, right? Oh yeah, yeah. Especially if you get yourself in like a little niche. Mm-hmm. Um, like I said, like most things I would listen to would be like Britpop or like kind of early 2000s kind of like the indie rock and again it made me in the bathroom Karen O was like yeah no I was like one of the only women on the scene at that time mm-hmm. and yeah I think if you get yourself into like niches like that it is very easy just to listen to men but it's definitely something to be aware of yeah mm. what have you been listening to well um I haven't been listening to a lot of new music this month. I have been listening to the new Death Cab album, Thank You for Today, which I'm really enjoying. Mm-hmm. Um but mainly I've been listening to podcasts. Um the weather's warmed up here, so I've been walking to work a little bit. Nice. And yeah, and I really enjoy that time because as I said, I'm very very busy with all this like, you know, this writing and the homework and stuff. So it's kind of nice to have this like half hour or so just to do something for myself. So what I like to do is listen to podcasts. Mm-hmm. Um, at the moment, I'm really enjoying um, Office Hours by College Fashionista. Mm-hmm. And I stumbled upon it when I wanted to know a little bit more about um, Alyssa Coscarelli. I think I'm saying that right. Um, and she's the senior fashion market editor at Refinery29. Um, and her work is super cool. And she has great hair and great clothes and a great Instagram. Um mm-hmm. And yeah, I found that interview and that's how I kind of found the rest of the podcast. And basically it is chats with a lot of cool people that I find really inspiring and it'll be great if your niche is like entertainment and fashion. So um, we're interviewing people like, let's say Rachel Zoe, there's like the Netflix founder, Taylor Frankel, um, Amanda Decadene's one was really interesting, uh, Cosmo.com editor, Amy O'Dell. Um, Olivia Culpo, which was really, really interesting. Um, I, she's like a former Miss Universe and she's from Rhode Island. And I like, I'd followed her on Instagram and she was dating and is now dating again. Um, the Patriots wide receiver who's now moved to the Dolphins, Danny Amendola. And she's really cool because her like career started off, um, obviously in pageants. And she, like, literally entered Miss Rhode Island for the first time and, like, her dress was $20 and she was, like, Mm -hmm. a student at BU and she'd, like, yeah, borrowed the money off her parents who, like, really didn't approve of it. Mm -hmm. Um, And then it ended up, like, cannonballing to her um, or snowballing. Snowball is probably better. To her becoming Miss Universe. Um, Yeah, and that – it's a a pretty interesting story. and then how Yeah, and it's really cool how she's kind of, like – then used that as like a platform for doing other things like you know she's in a few movies like um doing a lot of like modeling I think she's established like a clothing line so she's been really really smart and she's really switched on so those kind of interviews were really really interesting and I just found like um you know with ones like the cosmo.com editor Amy Adele like it was really interesting to just know where she got her start because that's like Mm -hmm. exactly what I want to do um Skim from the couch also does this really well. Um, and I've been working through their back catalog as well. Um, that's obviously by the creators of the email newsletter, the skim. Are you subscribed to that, Micah? 
I used to be, and then I went through a phase of I don't want to do any more emails, so I unsubscribe. Yeah. I thought it was a bit too American-focused at the time. It is, it is very American-focused, yeah. Um, and, like, now I don't think I would resubscribe, but because I'm subscribed to, like, the New York Times, and yeah, that gets me my New York or my America fix, and then I ch- shut it down because it's too depressing. Yeah. No, I, I, I really recommend if you're not signed up to it, which I think a lot of people are. That's um, awesome. Yeah, it's really great. It's mainly politics-focused, but does kind of like basically like a daily news roundup of important things mm-hmm. you need to know. It will be primarily U.S.-focused, um, but they would definitely touch on other things around the world. Um, and it's just written in a really quirky, concise way. So really yeah. great if you're just, you know, wanting to learn a little bit more, kind of like this podcast. Um, and I found that obviously because I was subscribed to the skim, but because they had interviews with um, Man Repeller founder Leandra Medine, who I really like, and Ariana Huffington of the Huffington Post. Um, and then I just learned about more cool career stories through there. So, yeah, if you're sort of wanting to be a little bit motivated, you know, learn a little bit more about the industry, I really recommend Office Hours and Skimmed from the Couch. They're both cool. really, really great. Yeah. So that's all we've read, watched, and listened this month. That is on- the things we have consumed. Yes. On with the show? On with the show. This week in politics, I was thinking about what I was going to talk about, and Yasmin had the great suggestion to talk about Australian politics, because shit kind of went down, down under. Um <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry to all the Australians, including Yasmin. The shit hit the bloody fans. <laughs> That's my Australian I, accent, which is truly awful. Like I, I'm not gonna have, attempt one. I have the worst, like Austra- like me trying to do an Australian accent is literally so bad. And I live here, like, yeah, I am an Australian citizen, and that's what I just came up with. Um, I apologize, everyone. <laughs> mm-hmm. So my knowledge of Australian politics before the last two days was kind of limited. (laughs) I'm a a political science student, so I know like a decent amount, more than your average person would know about the politics of Australia, but not a huge amount. How I'm starting this is that what I find super interesting is that a lot of people, if you just kind of ask them, like a lot of people not from Australia, if you ask them about Australian politics, we will think it's very liberal. Ah, that's the biggest lull of my life. I know. Like, that is crazy. I think that's just like the perception, yeah, that Australians are really like laid back and chill Mm -hmm. and like, yeah, whatever. Um, Yeah, no, not the case. No, no, no. Um, I think part of that has to do with the lovely John Oliver, who a couple years ago did a piece on gun control. And part of that piece was about how Australia, after they had um, a really horrible uh, mass shooting, like, just got rid of their guns. They were like, yep, you know, it's over. And so that's, I think, what most Americans and Canadians have heard about Australian politics. And they're like, well, that's liberal. I guess the rest of it is too. Anyways, that is, was originally my limited knowledge of Australia. Yeah, not the case. With my better knowledge of Australia. Um, So in case you've lived under a rock or don't know what a colony or a parliamentary system is, I'm going to tell you. So (laughs) Australia is a former British colony. They're still part of the Commonwealth, which is this nice little club we have of people who used to be ruled by Britain. 
Um, it's a weird group. Uh, so yeah. they're a constitutional monarchy. So you're the queen, just like Canada is the head of state, which is funny. Um, and they have a parliamentary system. This is important because the drama that has been happening in Australia, you have to understand what a parliamentary system is. So now I'm going to be a nerd and tell you what a parliamentary system is. Do it, Micah. <laughs> be a nerd. Um, so basically, the country is divided into different electoral districts, and each electoral district elects someone to represent them in parliament. Mm-hmm. And then all of these people run for different parties, and the party that has the most people forms the government and the head of that party wins is the prime minister um so he wins he wins <laughs> except not really because it's australia uh, yeah. and so that's kind of, unlike an american system where you vote directly for the guy who seems to be running everything um in a parliamentary system you don't vote directly for them only the people in his riding do very mm. important um in Australia, there are two major parties. They're called the Liberals and the Labour Party. What's important... Kind of like your Republicans and your Democrats, yes. but not really. What's important for the Canadian listeners is that liberal means conservative. Oh, yes, yes. Um, let's specify that. Yes. Yeah, liberal... So in Canada, is, yeah. Justin Trudeau is from the Liberal Party. Not the same thing. Um, yeah. And Labour is their left... Less conservative party because if you actually look at um, uh, the political, if you if you're in, into politics at all, they have like a chart. Um, yes, those authoritarianism and libertarianism, and then socially and conservative or liberal. Yeah, and it turns out that everyone is just super conservative. Um, so, oh, the, also just to um, yeah. for American listeners, our colors are the opposite here. Yes. So, liberal would be most like the Republicans, but they're blue here, mm-hmm. and then Labour would be more like the Democrats, but they're red here. That's the case in uh, the entire world except for America. Oh well, there we go. Yes. Yeah. Um, and yeah, and so it turns out that all of the major parties in Australia are more right wing than Canadian parties. Yep, doesn't so, surprise me. The other super nerdy thing about um, Australia is that they have a cool voting system that doesn't work. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Literally. So there's two types of like camps of voting systems. There's proportional and then there's first past the post. So first past the post means just however many votes, whoever has the most votes, even if it's not 50%, you win. Um, proportional systems try and make it so the amount of seats in parliament reflect the percentage of how many people voted. But Australia, for some reason, messed this up. Um, So they have an alternative vote system, which means when you go in to vote, um, you would have like a list of people and then you rank them. Yeah, Uh, we call it like preferential voting here. So it's kind of like picking your like one to however many. Mm -hmm. Um, Um, And voting is mandatory. So you have to go in and vote. Otherwise you get fined. Yeah. And so it's supposed to, like, make it proportional. It's supposed to be that there's more parties. And there are more parties on the ballot. My favorite thing is Australia has a sex party just because they want to, like, hang out. Well, there's a lot of, like, crazy ones. Weird like ones, yeah. Yeah, they, like, you can kind of have a party for everything. Mm-hmm. But, like, yeah, that's – yeah, it's – like you were saying, it doesn't really work. Like, yeah. we're meant to have, you know, in theory, because it's, like, preferential voting, like, you, you know – 
all the parties should be kind of represented, but it's always this like two horse race of liberal and labor. And then basically you're kind of seeing like, you know, if you vote for something like the sex party, you're kind of throwing your vote away because you're not like really it's liberal labor. And then we have the greens as our Mm -hmm. kind of third. Yeah. But yeah, you're kind of, no, no. And it's sucky. And as well with that whole um, mandatory voting, I really like it. I think mm-hmm. it's really great. We actually, when I was in San Francisco a few years, we had um, this crazy San Francisco lady yell at us because she didn't think it was democratic that we had <laughs> mandatory voting. Um, yeah, but like, you know, I, I, I like it personally, but mm-hmm. also, you know, you get a lot of people just writing things like King Kong on their voting slip because yeah. they have to go in and you're like, oh, I hate you. <laughs> The other reason why the system doesn't work is that there's this, like, the way it works is that you rank them, and then if your first person doesn't, if no one gets 50%, then you give up your first person, and your your vote goes to your second person. There's a bunch of math involved, and the parties have figured out this math, and part of how elections work is that they hand out lists, and they tell you this is how you have to rank people so that we win. Yes. Yeah, Um, that's crazy. so against how the system is supposed to work. It's supposed to be you personally choosing but they yeah. make these lists so that they'd like play with the math yeah um so yeah it's not it, it should be great um but it's not so the other thing i really wanted to mention and i think it's really important in all colonized nations is to talk about the people who lived there before the british did yes um and so the australians you call them the aboriginal people that's the term that they like yeah um, or indigenous or indigenous Australia. yeah yeah um, so they make up right now about 3% of the population out of 200, sorry, wow, 23 million. They're not that big. Um, no, 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 we're tiny. <laughs> yeah. Um, so unlike in Canada when the colonists came, they didn't kill everyone. They kind of just tried to interact with them. In Australia, there was a, there was a lot of killing. Yeah, they, they really went, yeah. Yeah, um, it was really horrific, and, which is um, just a side note why we have – um, we have Australia Day, which is on January 26th, and it's kind of like, I guess, like you have Canada Day or like, you know, 4th of July or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, but for us, it's very controversial because it's celebrated on the day of the first fleet arriving, which is when this kind of um, like beginning of this like massacre um, mm-hmm. happened. And mm-hmm. it's, yeah, it's, it's super contentious. Um, Australia actually became um because originally it was just separate colonies and it officially became a country um like it was it was the federation on january 1st 1901 so that date has been um proposed as well but obviously the whole new year's thing kind yeah. of you know it's not making it very realistic the other one was um may 8th people have suggested because mm-hmm. of mate you get it May, <laughs> mate. yeah yeah but um australia day is very very contentious and it's um which i'm sure you're about to talk about michael Mm -hmm. but the terrible treatment of the aboriginal people did not stop for a very long time Uh, i mean like institutionally did not stop for a very long time so so part of that was um obviously i come from a canadian background so it was quite similar to canadian history if you know about it um they put them on reserves they forced simulation um like truly awful they um what we call that is the stolen generation the stolen generation literally going on in the 1970s like it's not yeah. a very long time ago um yeah truly horrific mm-hmm. truly truly horrific 
the what's interesting though is that horrific um but the australian government has apologized um they did a formal apology in 2008 yes kevin rudd 2008 i watched it on tv Mm -hmm. i watched Um, it in school actually and so they've been working towards reconciliation um it's interesting because it kind of they were the first of i guess like australia canada and the u.s are the only british colonies where like that i can think of i'm really sorry if i've forgotten one um where like the aboriginal the original population was completely wiped out and they no longer have control of the nation like in africa um for the most part people have gotten control of their land again not the case in these three and so australia was the first one to actually apologize canada followed suit seven years later something like that and the u.s just doesn't care hello editing micah here with a couple addendums the first being um that apparently the u.s does care a little bit and that they have apologized a couple times to first nations people or as they call them native americans um my comment came out of the fact that unlike australia and canada america doesn't have a systematic um national agenda of reconciliation which is supposedly what is happening in australia and canada the other addendum as i have thought of other former british colonies that have native people who no longer control their territory one of them being new zealand sorry new zealand the other being south africa which now they do control their territory but didn't for a long time and that nation is slightly different than other african nations but yes on with the show Um, Oh, terrible fact um, with the apology. Um, So that was 2008 by Prime Minister mm -hmm. Kevin Rudd. Peter Dutton, who um, I'm sure Michael will talk about soon because we have a culture of backstabbing prime ministers here and everyone changes like prime ministers every five minutes. Peter Dutton um, was a liberal minister who tried to backstab his way to prime minister recently. He actually Mm -hmm. boycotted that apology. Um, so we nearly had someone who boycotted the apology as our prime minister, which is, um, yeah, terrible. That so is disgusting. the apology hasn't fixed everything. Or no, there's much. a lot of but reconciliation like, to go. Yeah. It's, it's not this thing that happened hundreds of years ago. No. It happened when our parents were around. So, you know, um, just keep it in mind. One, So that's the Aboriginal people. The last thing I want to show people to show that Australia, not a liberal haven, is Australia's immigration policy, specifically when it comes to refugees, very contentious and related. This is one that, like, when I tell my my friends and, like, my parents, my friends and my family in Ireland, like, I've had people laugh at me because they thought I was joking. They were like, oh, that's not a real thing. Oh, it is. So the way that the international system works is that for certain immigration, specifically refugee and asylum seekers, you have to touch the land of a country before you can claim asylum. Um, And Australia has this gift that it is an island. Canada also kind of reaps the benefits of this as well. Um, And because Australia is an island, they can turn people away and make sure that they don't touch the land so they can't claim asylum. So they have had people come who were fleeing violence and poverty um, in these horrible rickety boats because they had no other choice and they turned them away as they were approaching australia and then quarantined them on islands that technically weren't australia 
Yeah, so we have, like, um, Christmas Island and Nauru. They're literally, like, detention centers mm-hmm. with, like, barbed wire fences and stuff. And it's, we, like, have been talking a lot in the media recently about American detention of um Yeah, and yeah, when, yeah, when happening. that came out. Yeah, when yeah. that came out with, like, children separated at the border and stuff and, like, you know, those pictures of cages, mm-hmm. everyone was like, oh, this is awful. And then I saw someone on Twitter being like, all right, we'll wait till you hear what's been going on in Australia forever that yeah. no one's talking about. Yeah. So just keep that in mind. Australia, not a liberal haven. Um, I mean, I think Australia is a great country. I yes. love it here. I'm just saying the politics of it are really messed up. Yeah. It's kind of insane. So speaking of messed up politics... It's just a bunch of conservative, mostly men, yeah, being upset that they're either not conservative enough or just a little bit too liberal. Um, I have a great description of it somewhere. I've written down, I said, it's basically a never-ending reproduction of Shakespeare's Julius Caesar, except everyone Literally. is bad at speaking and no one is fighting actual wars. It's just <laughs> like... It's lame Julius Caesar, except it's just a bunch of awful people. It's it's literally the worst. Like, I remembered the first one. Um, so we had, yeah, it was, it was Kevin Rudd. And then he got backstabbed by Julia and then um, Gillard. And then she lost the election to Tony Abbott. And then he got backstabbed by Malcolm Turnbull. And then... Kevin backstabbed his way back up to the other party, mm-hmm. and now Malcolm's just been backstabbed. Like, there's literally, like, yeah, it, it's ridiculous. So, most recently, um, Malcolm Turnbull, who is part of the Liberal Party, but on the more socially, um, like, left leaning, so he's the guy who allowed the gay marriage referendum to happen. Um, so, socially liberal ish. And he got backstabbed by the most conservative wing of the Liberal Party. And they backstabbed him, but for some reason couldn't get their guy to be prime minister. So now Scott Morrison is prime minister. Yeah, so that was Peter Dutton, the awful man who boycotted the apology. Scott Morrison was immigration minister at the height of turning people around who were in boats that we just talked about. Um, So it's very interesting. There's actually in the last three of the last six backstabbings have been over energy policy. Yeah. Turnbull wanted to put in clean energy policy. He wanted to cap um, greenhouse gas emissions, which is kind of a standard thing to do nowadays. And people in the conservative, conservative wing were like, nope, 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 can't do that. Um, Yeah. That's kind of what happened with Julia Gillard. She wanted to introduce this carbon tax and they kind of thought, oh, we're not going to win with um a carbon tax and then yeah um i I think what's really interesting is we think of coups so this is essentially a coup the taking over of a government but we think of them in non-democratic nations like we think of like a south american nation stereotypically or like a middle eastern nation where there's a coup i think of like i don't know like lenin getting rid of like the romanov family in russia like i think of like the bolshevik revolution Um, (laughs) so it's very odd and it's not like the parliamentary system that does it because canada has a very similar system and never like in my living memory i cannot think of what this happens like would we 
our leaders change, but they change because they'll lose an election and then their party is like, you know what? We don't want you anymore. So then they yeah. change the leader. Not just in the middle of a term. Mm-hmm. So recently Britain changed leaders. So David Cameron stepped down and Theresa May become became leader. But that was yeah. because he said he would if he lost Brexit and he did. Yeah. Um, yeah. So like that's a justified reason, whereas all of these have been kind of... Someone yeah, his was kind of like a volunteer, like like he yeah. was like, I will do this. Whereas like this one is like like literal Caesar, like literal backstabbing. Yeah, yeah, um, like they have no choice. They're just like you're out. Yeah, so I want your job. I was trying to like figure out why this was and what's unique about um, Australia, and the BBC has a great article which we will link in the description. It's called Four Reasons Why the Coups Keep on Happening. I'll read you them and try and explain them a little bit. So in Australia, they have three-year terms. So every three years, you elect a whole new government, where in typical democracies, it's four to five. And so that means that people are constantly thinking about the next election. You have no time to actually govern. You're just thinking about what's going to get you elected. So you tend to put in policies that you think people will like. So like a clean energy policy, no one, like some people like them up front, but the majority of people don't like them up front as a like, oh my god, our taxes are going up, but like them long term. And so you need to do them at the beginning of a term um, because Australian politics is so insane. Um, There's never really a time to think about the future. And so when you do, you get backstabbed. Um, The other thing is that Australian media loves opinion polls um, constantly. They take opinion polls of Australians and ask, how do you feel about this prime minister? And it used to be them once a month. Now they do them once a fortnight and maybe even more. Um, So it's just constantly in the media, like, no one likes this prime minister. Like, how can you still be prime minister? Um, Which, like... Yeah, yeah. We're hearing, like, I would say, like, weekly on the news, you see those, Mm -hmm. like, Labour versus Liberal statistics. Like, Mm -hmm. they're doing it all the time. Like, I don't know about other countries, but that seems like, you know... it's weird to be thinking about that, like, when it's not election time, but, like, it seems like you're always thinking about that. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I, I don't think it's really that common. Like, we think about it a bit here, but, like, we don't, like, we accept that prime ministers are going to have a bad day. Like, yeah. you're going to do something that isn't very good, but that's fine because, like, overall, you've done well. Um, the other thing that the BBC pointed to was mandatory voting um because they their argument was less people care about voting and so um and so there's more apathy and so you kind of have to there's only a specific type of people that um leaders have to play to and it's those people who really care um it also means that like really big decisions can be left to party elites like who becomes prime minister and then the last one which i thought was very uh hoity-toity of the bbc to say um they just said that australia is full of second-rate leaders like no one can get the job done so like in this last coup his name was peter dutton yeah um, he he was the guy who instituted the coup but was unable to actually become prime minister yeah full of all of these people who can kind of do things but are very bad at doing them um and so not a very good situation. Uh, yeah. Also, I would say, like, this sounds a little bit superficial, but, like, yeah. one complaint a lot of people have about a lot of the politicians at the moment is that they don't have these, like, visible leadership qualities. Um, you know, and it seems, like, 
yeah, it just seems like a lot of the the leaders in Australia, I'm sure, are very intelligent men because we have only had one uh, female prime minister, and I think she had really like she felt like a leader. Mm-hmm. Um, but like, yeah, they just they they just don't don't feel like prime ministers. They feel like you know just like a minister you you would have on like the yeah. backbench or whatever. And I think that's where people are kind of like, yeah, losing losing confidence in them because it kind of feels like it could be i don't know your uncle or something like that mm-hmm. they don't have this the authority that we see in a lot of other yeah. countries yeah so sad not a great state of australian politics but what's really interesting is that in other places while there has been the surge of the right wing i don't think we have to worry about this that much in australia because starting there there's also been this surge of the left and these young people coming into politics and being very engaged and excited about it yeah and so there's there's a chance that this surge will come to australia i know australia's disconnected from the world in some ways because they're like they're their nice island and the time I feel like the time zone thing also just makes it so that you kind of yeah we're, yeah because yeah, we're from Australia we're awake a lot of the time when no one else is and then we kind <laughs> yeah. of go to sleep when we wake up and other things have happened mm-hmm. um no like I hope I hope to see a change um as I said like I think it's a fantastic country there's some really messy politics um and I think people have sort of I think people have lost confidence in the fact that like the politicians are there to serve them. It feels yeah. like they're there to serve themselves. Like all yeah. this backstabbing, it's like you just want to further your career. Clearly yeah. you're not about listening. And again, we have like, you know, there's all these protests for, um, you know, Aboriginal rights and for the Australia day, change the date campaign. And there's, um, you know, like, um, protests and organizations to help refugees but it feels like no one's listening like it feels like they're just so switched off tunnel vision win 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 get my career is that you can do all these things and it's not like they're even going to look at it it's not like they're coming in with this mindset of like okay what's the australian people want i'll look around okay this protest is going on maybe i'll consider this it just seems like it's like the safe option is to turn the boats back so Mm that's what they're going to do. And mm-hmm. it's really disheartening and it would be nice to, to feel like voices are being a little bit more heard and that the politicians are caring a little bit more about the Australian public rather than about furthering their own career. So any like very engaged Australian listeners go run for office, change the system. That's one way. Yeah. I think um, that we will organize to put some links um, down the bottom of this episode. Cause I would really like to highlight yeah more of um the issues that have faced and continue to face uh the aboriginal people and mm-hmm. um asylum seekers and then maybe some ways that you can get involved in changing oh yeah things. definitely i think we will organize some links for that that would be really great great yay to the pop culture segment of the podcast and this month I'm going to be talking about fashion week or um yeah I just thought um I'm I'm a big fashion person um I've always been very very interested in clothes and sadly I wasn't for quite a while there because I don't know I think I just sort of felt like I was getting very tunneled visions with like you know saving money and goals and all this kind Mm -hmm. of thing and I like wasn't spending money on clothes which I think is a bad thing because they make me feel good and I feel like a 
better version of myself when I'm wearing things that I think represent me. So I'm getting a lot more back into fashion. I find it really interesting. I hope you do too. Um, So I just thought I would unpack fashion week um because it can be a little bit confusing mm-hmm. um especially with um we were just talking before about australia being in different time zones we're also in different seasons here so it can be a little bit confusing when you're trying to follow the big four fashion weeks which are yeah. new york paris london and Milan. okay so i guess first we'll just explain what fashion week is um to quote good old wikipedia um, a fashion week is a fashion industry event lasting approximately one week wherein fashion designers, brands, or houses display their latest collections in runway shows to buyers and the media. These events influence trends for the current and upcoming seasons. And as mentioned before, we've got these four big ones, which are New York, Paris, London, and Milan. Um, but there's lots of other ones. Like, for instance, I went to the Melbourne Fashion Week, um, which was really, really fun. And Copenhagen. Yeah, yeah, it was really, really fancy. I've been a couple times. Um, uh, the big four ones are a little bit more like exclusive. Like yeah. I know for New York, you can't just like turn up. Mm-hmm. Um, Melbourne Fashion Week is like a little bit more open. You can buy tickets pretty easily online, and everyone can kind of go. Um, but it is a really fancy event. It's really great if you're interested in fashion and just a really good night out. Mm-hmm. Um, Copenhagen also looked great. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's yeah, lots of others going around the world. Um, and basically, with them all happening consecutively um and overlapping sometimes it feels like fashion month which is what it's sort of known as um so the concept originated in paris when designers would hire women to wear cool clothes out and about and that was kind of the idea of like i don't know i guess um clothes being shown that's where Mm -hmm. that um originated because it's kind of weird to think that originally you would only know about clothes from going into a shop or having a newspaper or a magazine write about it. And I guess today we've seen that evolve into, you know, celebrities and Insta famous people being paid to advertise um, or wear clothes and be pictured wearing them. So yeah, we can see where where that, where that kind of um, started off. I just thought that was kind of interesting. Mm -hmm. Um, So yeah. Then in 1943, the first ever fashion week happened. Um, That was in New York and it was, Interestingly, the main purpose was to give fashion buyers alternatives to French fashion during World War II because no one in the fashion industry was able to travel to Paris because World War II. Um, So, yeah, now there is genuinely two fashion weeks a year. We've got Mm -hmm. one in February and one in September. That's, I think, where it can get a little bit confusing because you're like, when is it? Why is there? Like, what's going on? Mm -hmm. February and September is genuinely the calendar and it's to show trends for the next season. So if we take New York Fashion Week, for example, um, the Northern Hemisphere is in and heading into autumn and winter, Mm -hmm. but the fashions at New York Fashion Week are for next spring, summer. So that's like, you know, things you could wear in March next year. So it's for like the following season. Um, Also a side note on the abbreviation of New York Fashion Week, which is NYFW, Mm -hmm. someone on Twitter was like... um, I keep reading this as not yay for work. <laughs> and I felt yeah. that. I felt that because you're just so used to NSFW. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's not not yay for work. It's New York Fashion Week. Um, and that is a fashion week that I'm going to discuss in a little bit more detail because it has just happened. Um, and obviously, we both love New York. We have a special yeah. interest, invested interests in New York. Um, Micah in 
having a boyfriend and a potential grad school, me in wanting a boyfriend. (laughs) (laughs) I want to be in a (laughs) rom-com. Billy Crystal, if you are listening to this um, and you want to just go back in time, I could replace Meg Ryan and when Harry met Sally. Anyway, um, so we're going to talk a little bit about the fashion of New York Fashion Week because we have this invested interest, but it's also because it's one you can follow pretty easily online. Like they usually um, record them and you can watch them from your bed. Um, and a lot of celebrities go and fashionable people go. And yeah, it's awesome. Cool. So um, to start off with, the celebrities spotted. Uh, basically everyone. We had uh, Nicki Minaj, Emily Ratajkowski. I think I'm saying that right. I always mess her name up. Sounds uh, right. Yeah. Um, oh, actually, she did the 70 however many questions with Vogue, and that was um, really great. I recommend watching that. She seems really cool. cool. Uh, Diana Agron, Sophia Ritchie, who was there with Nicki Minaj and her mom at the Oscar de la Renta show. So that was kind of cool. Um, Adele Beckham Jr., Millie Bobby Brown, and Noah Schnapp from Stranger Things, who were seen with Jeff Goldblum. So that was mm-hmm. bizarre. Um, Rami Malik and Jake Gyllenhaal were there. And Hathaway was there with Jeremy Renner. Katie Holmes was there. Kate Bosworth. Um, Anthony from the Red Hot Chili Peppers was there. And for some reason had like a lot of stickers on. Like he just had stickers all over his jacket Sweet. and his face. And that was weird. Uh, Whoopi Goldberg. Uh, Priyanka and Nick were there. Um, yeah, yeah, they're great. Um, can't wait for them to get married. Um, Cynthia Nixon was there. Um, yeah, side note. Um, she lost. Yeah, she's she's not she's not thirty percent. Yeah. Anyways, yeah. super interesting anyway. election. Um, <laughs> Justin and Haley were there. Um, yeah, literally everyone. Um, but I guess like the big celeb story was it? <gasps> yeah, there was, I heard about this. There was a bit of beef. Um, and it was between Cardi B and Nicki Minaj. And it kind of, like, it's been brewing for a while. Mm-hmm. So, you know, about a year ago, um, Nikki rapped about a female rapper who was trying to be, like, a new version of her um, yeah. on a track with Cardi B's boyfriend and now husband, um, Offset. And Nikki said this wasn't about Cardi, but, like, basically there's been, like, a lot of little things like that brewing. Mm-hmm. Um but, you know, it was, like, it's been very up and down. Cardi said at the 2017 VMAs that she didn't have time for fights. She just wanted to make music and make money. And um, Nikki congratulated Cardi on the success of Bodak Yellow. Uh, they were seen chatting at the Met Gala, which we covered in, I believe, episode two. So go back and listen to that if you want to hear about the Met Gala. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, then kind of, like, more recently, Nicki Minaj gave Cardi B some backhanded advice while on – um radio show and she was saying um she may have taken issue an issue with the things i've said but i'm not going to bite my my tongue you got to have thick skin people talk shit about me all the time you can't expect to be liked and loved and praised all the effing time give me a break um so a little bit a little bit random um but yeah basically they've been a little bit up and down but nothing fully kind of coming to the surface and like a lot of accusations that it was just the internet like stirring this up and pitting them against each other yeah yeah but then (laughs) it all emerged so there was an altercation at the harper's bizarre icons party while christina aguilera was performing (laughs) which i just love i just want to have her playing candy man while they're fighting upstairs yes um and there's a video of Cardi removing a shoe while yelling, I will F you up. 
and then pics of her leaving with this huge like lump bruise whatever it's scary looking on her head so um like right on her eyebrow so yeah we're still a little bit like unsure what went on there like nypd were involved um Mm. like it was a thing so probably haven't heard the last of that i really really just hope this isn't another kanye taylor swift um because i think i said this before but i've never seen this tweet that was like um me when kanye interrupted taylor at the vmas oh that was weird um (laughs) what i did not expect was it to be an incident that would psychologically um mess up both of them for the next 10 years driving them to the rink of insanity like literally that's what started it and you're like it's been 10 years and like they're literally driven crazy by it so i i hope this doesn't evolve into another one of that or even the the Taylor Katy Perry thing. I just I I don't think we need we need another another situation like that. Um, nope. That was that was your major fashion week drama. Um, On to some collections that I thought I would highlight. So with all these, obviously because they are outfits, it's probably best that you look at them yourself online um, <laughs> later on. Yeah. But um, just to point you in the right direction so we had mark jacobs um he had all these like kind of colorful what i would call like um like the hunger games capital style looks like it was a lot of yeah like these big ruffly collars like um a lot of frills a lot of ruffles Mm -hmm. um frothy dresses that kind of looked like spun sugar it was very 60s very like almost like shirley temple like exaggerated silhouettes um yeah really kind of whimsical and fantastical and yeah if you're into the hunker games you'll probably like it um calvin klein also had a super cool collection um there was a lot of jaws t-shirts and like folded down scuba suits um but we did also see a lot of tailored blazers and there was a few models wearing like graduation caps and gowns including um i think it's kaya gerber i think i'm pronouncing that right Mm -hmm who is 17-year-old model, and she is the daughter of Cindy Crawford and looks exactly like her. Um, and she was one of the 12 models who wore the um, graduation cap and gown, which I liked because it was this, like, celebration of youth. And she had wet hair as well, which was really, I don't know, it just, it, it, felt, yeah. it felt cool. Mm-hmm. Um, Rodarte um, came back, and I really, I really love um, them as a brand. So, it, like, Rodarte is a sister duo. Mm-hmm. Um, and their collection was a lot of, like, uh, PVC, ruffles, lace, florals, 80 shoulders, crochet, satin. Um, it sounds like a mix of everything there. But once you see the collection, it is very, like, it's very them. Yeah. Um, and really, really interesting. So, loved that. Uh, then we also had Savage and Fenty, uh, which is Rihanna's uh, lingerie line i think rihanna is just killing it i think she's so cool i just think she just does not give a damn and she's she's really about exploring herself and you know branching into these new areas and i think when she does do it she does it in a really authentic and thought out manner like for instance you know her fenty beauty which was very inclusive of um all different skin tones Mm -hmm. and we saw that same thing here oh my gosh she had like models of all different shapes and sizes, which was mm-hmm. absolutely fantastic. We also had like, you know, really famous models like Gigi and Bella Hadid. And then we had um, 
I'm, which I'm sure you've definitely seen, um, Slick Woods, who was mm-hmm. nine months pregnant oh, um, cool. in the show. And she was literally just wearing like these little like nipple pasties and like, like, underwear Mm -hmm. and like looked freaking amazing anyway she was kind of like in labor during the show and gave birth a few hours yeah literally walked off the catwalk and then went to give birth like give birth like she Mm -hmm. slayed also she's 22 so i mean i i assume she was older just because she's done so much she was Mm -hmm. like the face of fenty beauty and i was just baffled that someone who was 22 could be Rihanna's like it girl and in fashion week and having a baby all on literally the same day. So mm. I feel unaccomplished, but it's okay. <laughs> um, so yeah, one thing I kind of wanted to highlight is that um, fashion gets dismissed as being frivolous and superficial and all that rubbish. And that's why we have this podcast because we think that people can care about different things and hold um you know, to seemingly opposing values at the same, well, not values, interests mm-hmm. at the same time. But like, you know, we really do think that pop culture does have value. And um, Anna Wintour um, commented on this. Um, so she said last Fashion Week, that, um, which was in February, that fashion doesn't exist in a vacuum. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it really responds to society and like that's where designers get their inspiration from. And it's all about reflecting like the current culture. So obviously in the wake of the Me Too movement, we're seeing fashions influenced by that. Um, There was a lot last Fashion Week, but even this Fashion Week, we've seen, again, the 80s theme. Um, So a lot of these like big shoulders and yeah, the satin of a lot of looks. Um, Really this, yeah, definitely an 80s look. And as Anna Wintour said, um, this was like, you know, a time when women were really able to enter the workforce in a big way for the first time. Um, So it's really like a celebration of like power dressing, which Mm -hmm. the 80s was definitely about. Um, And this feels like a lot less exploitive way um, to, um, you know, work with the movement. Um, I don't know if you remember, there was a horrible hashtag Me Too clothing line. I think the company was called Colo. They were an Australian brand. It was horrible. It was just Mm -hmm. such a misstep, Mm -hmm. such a poor, poor decision. But like, this is really, I I think, um, you know, the idea of incorporating power dressing or something is a much healthier way of responding to that movement and um, empowering women rather than exploiting their pain. So. I thought that was really interesting. Um, she also said, um, you know, that we're in a time of dark news. Like it seems like every day there's something awful happening. Um, it's like a lot of uncertainty and it seems like a lot of the world is going very conservative or there's, mm-hmm. you know, these like horrible um, natural disasters. Like we've got Hurricane Florence going on in the U.S. Mm-hmm. at the time. Um, so in response to that, we're seeing a lot of color on the catwalk. So Michael Kors and Carolina Herrera were super bright this year and their collections just felt really young and optimistic. So I just thought that was really, really interesting to maybe like, you know, think about how designers are really thoughtfully creating these collections. Yeah. And yeah. Um, I liked it a lot. I think that context was really interesting. So thank you, Anna Wintour. You're a genius. <laughs> um, but yeah, the thing is about Fashion Week is that 
you know, these looks aren't very wearable. Number one, because they're for like next season. So you might be able to get like, you know, a few weeks of wearing these like dresses or whatever now, but like, it's going to get cold in New York soon. Like you're not Mm going to be wearing any of these things for quite a while. Also, because they're usually quite avant-garde, like, you know, it's a lot of them wouldn't be ready to wear it. It's this chance for the designers to um, really explore their creativity and like create these collections that probably would inspire a lot of the high street looks but you're mm-hmm. not going to be wearing a veil over your face walking down the street really yep. that might inspire something but it's it's not going to be ready to wear off the catwalk mm-hmm. so um street style is always really interesting it's always really cool to see what everyone's wearing at fashion week and you know people are getting dressed for the current weather so you know what <laughs> you would actually be wearing in september in new york yeah um so it can inform some more immediate choices Having said that, the weather was absolutely boiling in New York for most, most of Fashion Week. And then there was like a really a couple really, really horrible rainy days. So, um, <laughs> you know, it's not going to be a typical like autumn look, but yeah. that's okay. Um, I will link to um, an article on Man Repeller. They created like an updated gallery for each day. So the first one was like... Um, like best fashion week looks of day one or whatever. And then it became like day one and two. Whatever. Yeah. And it was basically updated each day. It's now called uh, 344 of the best street style looks from New York fashion week. Um, and yeah, we're still seeing a lot of these like really great, colorful, flowy dresses worn with sneakers. I mm-hmm. love the sneakers trend. Mm-hmm. Um, I've actually written a little bit for another website called Myro door, which I probably will link to that, that article um, just about how, you know, we're seeing a lot more sportswear and everyday wear. Like I'm not talking about, um, you know, people just wearing their workout wear to get a coffee, but like, you know, wearing things like this beautiful dress and then putting runners or sneakers or whatever you call them on with it. Um, I really like this idea of like embracing comfort because I think that gives you a power and a confidence. That's cool. Others don't. Um, We're seeing a lot of suits still. So a lot of kind of like loose oversized suits. Um, Love, love that. Again, it's this kind of like empowering 80s kind of thing for women. Mm-hmm. We're also seeing a lot of cowboy boots and Western wear, which mm-hmm. I am a huge fan of. Um, always reminds me of the killers. Um, <laughs> yeah. I think they do Western wear really well. There was that stage where they were like, like 2006, I think around like Sam's Town. It was yeah. like exclusively, was yeah, it was exclusively Western wear. Um, and I think at the time everyone kind of laughed, but like, man, they were like 12 years ahead of the curve. Like yeah, literally were. like everything Brandon Flowers was wearing in 2006, <laughs> you could probably see now. Um, so yeah, that's, that's pretty cool. And yeah, that's kind of my roundup of New York Fashion Week. Um, I hope everyone who went had a fantastic time. I can't wait to check out the February Fashion Week and I really want to go one day. So someone invite me, please. Mm-hmm. <laughs> thanks for listening this week to different things can be sad uh yeah it's been a lot of fun yeah we're really happy that we've been doing this for half a year and we hope to complete I it. Believe it i know so it's quite. amazing so yeah um you can follow me at, at miss clearwater on twitter and instagram and I am at Yasmin Lomax on Twitter and Instagram. And our podcast, as mentioned at the beginning of this episode, <laughs> is at DTCBS Podcast. We are mainly on Instagram at the moment. Mm-hmm. Um, 
I may bring us back to Twitter, but we're finding we're reaching a lot more people through Instagram. Yeah. Um, so find us on there. We will hopefully be organizing this giveaway yes. um, soon. So keep up to date with that. And we hope you all have a joyous month wherever you are in the world. And we will be invading your earbuds soon. We will. Bye. Bye. Bye.